welcome back. I'm Peter Wood and I'm the author of Mud Between Your Toes, A Rhodesian Farm, which is a memoir about my life growing up in Zimbabwe, or formerly Rhodesia, in the 1960s and 70s. This is a podcast about family, independence, loss, and above all, identity. Hello again. My guest today is an internationally recognized African wildlife artist. Larry Norton was born in Zimbabwe in 1963, and I think I can arguably say that Larry's one of the most important living African wildlife artists globally. He's also an avid environmental warrior for Southern Africa. Larry grew up on a farm very close to where I grew up in the Mburawi area of Zimbabwe. We grew up together, went to the same junior school together, the same high school, we were in the same hostels, and our families always went on holiday together. Larry lives in a beautiful tented treehouse with his wife, Lara, in Victoria Falls, where he's speaking to me now. Larry Norton, welcome to Conversations with Pete Wood. Hey, Pete, very good to, to hear from you. And, and uh, thanks so much for getting in touch. And uh, I, I look forward to revisiting a thousand memories. Well, I mean, you know, actually, we, we'll talk about my last visit to Vic Falls later on in this. But um, I feel, you know, I feel now I should get something off my chest after 50, after 50 years. I was one year <laughs> ahead of you. I was one year ahead of you at junior school at Mbukwe yeah. School. And all Form 4s, that's 11-year-olds in the country, needed to submit posters for the Air Rhodesia competition. Flying is our business. We'll make it your pleasure. And I won the poster competition that year with an illustration of Victoria Falls, the Great Zimbabwe Ruins, Lorenzo Marx in Mozambique, and South Africa. Anyway, the next year, when you got to 11 years old, you also won. And wait for it. You did a far better job than me with a poster illustrating Victoria Falls, Great Zimbabwe Ruins, Lorenzo, Marks and Mozambique, and South <laughs> Africa. Only you did it better. Damn it, Norton, you stole my thunder. I probably, Pete, I, I, I'm trying to remember how that happened, but I, you know, I, what I do remember as well, so I apologize if there was any imitation in that. Um, <laughs> it was an Air Rhodesia competition. Uh, Jumpy Nelson and I won and had our first flight in a Viscount um, from uh, Salisbury to Vic Falls, a flame lily trip. We flew in at six in the morning and left at six in the evening and had a full tour of the falls, our first view of the falls, et cetera, et cetera. The poster's still in my kitchen. Oh, um, fantastic. And, and so I see it every day. I've still got that same thing. Well, I um, think my mum threw my one out. <laughs> but you know what I do? I, I, and, and Pete, I, and I have a confession is oh, that God. I think one of the things that, that really got me going with, with, with painting was uh, I remember going to Msitwe Farm and seeing some paintings that you had done of, of animals. Uh, uh, there were, I think there was a, a serval cat. There were, there were a few others. I don't know if you remember them. They, they were outstanding. 
I, I did them with pastels, I think. Yeah, they, they were excellent. And, and it, uh, it fired me up. And, uh-huh. um, uh, you know, art is always imitation, they say. So, so for all I've imitated from, from your artistic work, I apologize. Well, I, I feel completely honored because I think that's probably the only time in your art career you had to copy anyone, to be honest. I mean, those, those, <laughs> that, that Air, Aerodesia ticket, that prize, was a ticket for one yeah. to Victoria Falls. I mean, we were 11 years old, so obviously an adult then had to go and buy a ticket as well. So Aerodesia ended up making money out of that. What a scam. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jumpy and I, um, I, I we, we both got it, and we both came up. And and uh, I never, never in a million years thought that Victoria Falls would would be where I ended up uh, living, and that the falls would become probably the main subject matter of my my work. Absolutely incredible, isn't it? I mean, we'll get back to your art career in a minute. So let's let's take a journey way back in time to our childhood because we spent our childhood together, our families spent them together. Um, your memory is probably far better than mine. I think my brain's a bit cooked, but can you relate a couple of stories or adventures that happened back when we were kids? You know, Pete, I, I, I've been, uh, you know, after you asked me, you warned me that you would be calling, I, I've been uh, thinking and they're just, there, there are too many memories that crowd in. I, they, they, that I, it's very hard to sift through them and, and find some, the, the best ones. They're all exceptional. Um, I, I think the best place to start is maybe with an, with an overview in that our parents were such close friends and we lived at an extraordinary time in, in, in an extraordinary place and were dragged along. Um, I remember my dad saying, you can't come to the valley, Zambezi Valley, on a hunting trip until you're six years old in case you get eaten. Uh, <laughs> by the time you're six, you, you should be able to survive. So uh, the, the first incident was uh, when, I, when, I, when I was six. It, it, it was uh, 1969, and uh, I was on my first trip down to the Zambezi, and I can remember waking up under the the starlight, we, we just slept on stretches out in the open. And because it was a hunting camp, there was there was there were the meat lines and there were there were hyena everywhere. You know, you, you could see them in, in the in the moonlight sort of skulking around. Um, but it was it was an extraordinary camp. The 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 tensions in Rhodesia had sort of begun uh, the the uh, South African police had been deployed along the, the border, and uh, we were still going on 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 these trips. Uh, anyway, my uh, John, your dad, and my dad had borrowed Fergus Chance's green boat, and they decided that we should go. Uh, the The floodgates were open from Kariba, so the the river was high, and Mana Pools was flooded. For the yeah. first time in a long time, and they decided that we should go and have a look at uh, Mana. So we were all loaded up in 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 the boat. Uh, your mum, my mum, uh, um, Selby, and uh, Jenny Chance, uh, Jenny, uh, 
had, I think they had just got in, in, engaged, uh, uh, Duncan and Alan. We all got loaded up and, and uh, off we went. Yeah, she was Jenny Johns uh, back then. In, say again? She, she was Jenny Johns back then. Correct, yeah. Sister of, of uh, Vera Johns. Yeah. Um, who became Miss South Africa and probably would have been Miss World, etc. But yeah. uh, off we went. And I, I remember as we were approaching Minor, we were going through very shallow, uh, muddy water and, and uh, often literally bumping into crocs in this uh, sort of uh, old tub of a, 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 a hard-hulled uh, boat. Eventually, we got into the, 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 the channels of Minor, and we had just seen an enormous croc. And John was standing on the bank, uh, on the back. and. Yeah, he had a, a castle, a brown castle a dumpy bottle. And, and anyway, we hit something and he fell off as we had seen this croc. It was quite extraordinary. He went into the water, he came out and was back standing on the back of the boat, wet, but it had all taken about two seconds. It was a miracle. He sort of walked anyway, on water. Yes. We then had decided to go deep in and... It was time to turn around and try and get back. We must have been at E camp, I think. Um, and the engine failed. Try and try and try as they might, they couldn't get it going. Neither Ben nor John were great mechanics. And uh, eventually a ranger from Arnold Pools came in and I think gave us a, a battery. And we set off, it was now late in the evening. We had a long way to go. It was midwinter and the Zambezi Valley in midwinter can get extremely cold, as hot as it can get in summer. Anyway, we were now making our way through a shallow swamp. Uh, I remember shining a torch behind the back of the boat and just seeing the eyes of crocs drifting slowly behind the boat. And it's no exaggeration. They, they, they were, there were a lot of them. Anyway, we would hit a, a sandbank or a mud bank every now and again. We'd have to all get out and push, and it, it was all getting a bit uh, dangerous. So our leaders decided that we must camp on an island for the night. And, uh, of course, there was no way of communicating in those days, so everyone back at camp thought that we had uh, uh, vanished or some terrible thing had happened. We, we stopped on a marshy island. Uh, I remember my mum wanting to go for a pee, and uh, uh, as she was about to disembark, there was a hell of a roar, and there was there there was lion on the island. So she left back. Uh, it, it was freezing cold. Uh, there was no, nothing to keep keep us warm. I think Duncan ended up sleeping under the the Hessian sack that had contained the worms. It was the longest night. Apparently, and I, I think you need to check with Duncan on this, there was some action um, on the Zambian side. Uh, some mortars or something had gone off. Um, so that added to, to the drama, but please confirm that with him. We then uh, eventually at dawn, after the most excruciating night, uh, began to make our way. The, the, the detail I forgot was that uh, Ben and John had, uh, uh, finished off a bottle of gin through the long night. Um, and anyway, at first light, we made our way back just in time to uh, 
find uh, an SADF helicopter landing at E-Camp as they were trying to find us. Um, but that was uh, the first trip to the valley. My God, that was your first trip to the valley. See, I was, I was on that trip, but I wasn't on that boat. So I was actually at the camp, and I remember the incident. Um, and, you know, in a way, thank God I wasn't on the boat. But, um, you know, the, the folks were quite uh, casual about the whole thing, weren't they, really? I mean, Pete, I, two other stories spring to mind. Uh, they, they, well, they, it's actually three. I'll try and paraphrase. But the, 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 how we survived our childhood is, is a mystery to me. Um, I, I remember, uh, we, I think we were at B camp, and there was a small inlet and there was a croc slide that went down into um, uh, probably three or four foot of water. And having not caught any fish, our folks then threw a few bucketfuls of water on, on, on this muddy uh, slope. And we spent the afternoon sliding down into the water, running around and jumping in again. Um, mm. How we didn't get taken, I, I, I've got no idea. Uh, Immediately after that, I remember you and I being bored while everyone fished off a sandbank. And we found a, a, a mud pool and covered ourselves in mud from head to toe. And we're having so much humor. And then John, your dad, was uh, probably 100 meters away and started to shout at us to come back. But we pretended not to hear and continued. He became increasingly agitated. And eventually, he marched up and grabbed us both by our arms and yanked us out of the mud and dragged us off. As he got us out of the way, a herd of elephant cows and calves came thundering over the bank. Uh, we were blissfully unaware that they had been trying to come down to drink and were getting more and more uh, agitated. So he pulled us out of the way there. Uh, the third incident was where we were fed up with getting told that uh, we couldn't go into the water and it was damn hot. And we went down to where the boat was moored and the, it was a deep pool on the edge of the Zambezi and there, it's also where our water was pumped from. And we, we talked about it and we, we, we had got fed up and we thought, look, we're just going to take our kid off, jump in the, the water and, and, and quickly jump out again. And while we were uh, making our decision, uh, we looked in the water and a, and a croc literally rose up in the water about uh, uh, 10 or 12 foot away. So uh, we uh, decided against it. It's amazing, isn't it, actually? I mean, and, and, and we just remember it with, uh, you know, as so much fun, you know, but it is incredible, really, if you think back. You know, I don't think parents would allow their children anywhere near the water these days. No, Pete. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't know how um, <laughs> we got through it all. Um, and even, and and even out of the water. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think back to the trips to to Tashinga, to, to Kariba back in the day, and this was in um, so the 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 mid to later seventies, where uh, we would at the start of the holiday. Uh, four or five families, farming families, we would load up on, on the great ferry, the sea line. Uh, vehicles would drive on. Boats would be tied behind. 
a lorry would go around the back of the Ome through Karoi with, with a month of supplies. Uh, we would chug across the lake. Uh, on arriving at Tashinga, uh, our noble leaders would uh, ensconce themselves under the shade and we would help offload standing in, in you know, four foot of oxygen weed and shifting crates of beer like slaves at the pyramids. Uh, you know, it, 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 it was amazing. And then eventually everything would be offloaded. Uh, we would have a month there and uh, the ferry would come back, collect us one night at Caribia Bay, then back to, uh, back to Salisbury and, and in time for a haircut at, at uh, uh, the captain's cabin in, in Meekles and back to boarding school. I mean, how, uh, how, that, how wonderful to have a whole month off. And it was. I mean, the, 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 the level of freedom and independence was extraordinary. I mean, we, uh, our folks would go off fishing. We were, we were given Greyboat, that the trusty Avon inflatable with a two and a half horsepower uh, uh, engine named Russell Ringpiece. And uh, with maybe 10 of us in that boat, children from six years old, Russell Hyde, up to James Hughes being the eldest, uh, you know, probably 15 or 16. And we would disappear for the entire day. I mean, I, it, it, it really was uh, remarkable. Uh, you'll remember when the, the occasion when we had broken down and ended up having to put some petrol onto uh, elephant dung to try and send smoke signals to, uh, to Shinga about two kilometers across the bay with no success. Eventually, um, a, a smart boat arrived with some people from Salisbury, so a whole bunch of adults, and they, they said, well, what, what, what's going on here? We said, our, our boat has broken down. They looked at us. They said, well, where, where are your parents? We, we said, they're fishing. <laughs> <laughs> they were furious, and they loaded us up and rescued us and hunted around for our irresponsible parents, but they, they were long gone down towards Bumi. They'd gone the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic, Larry. I mean, those are the days, I think, you know, I mean, uh, we didn't lose too many kids along the way, did we? Well, we, it, it wasn't for lack of trying. I mean, I can remember uh, uh, Annabelle, and uh, Annabelle is the closest thing I have to a sister. Uh, uh, she we, we grew up together, and I, I love her, her dearly. But we were terrible to her in, in, uh, when we were young. And, and she uh, was very cheeky. So um, it, it ended up in some, some amazing sort of rows and arguments. But there was the one occasion, which you all remember, when, when Annabelle had become too outspoken. And I think we were in Grey Boat, and James said, Annabelle, can you just climb into that dead tree and untie the rope. So Annabelle uh, climbed into the tree. James untied the rope, which was attached to the boat, and we drove away, leaving Annabelle uh, in a, in a, uh, uh, stuck in a tree about 30 meters from the, or, or 40 meters from the shore. Now, I and must then, stop you there because Annabelle has a different version of that story, but my uh, 
my version was similar to yours. And uh, anyway, and, and then there, there was that huge 16, 17 foot croc called Bismarck. He used to patrol around those trees. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, and we saw him. I mean, every 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 uh, notable croc in Southern Africa seems to be called Bismarck. But th this was one of the first Bismarcks. And he was a brute. And he used to come around the point um, and uh, and patrol the area. And, and, and uh, it was exactly where Annabelle had been left in the tree. Wow. Fool foolish children. But anyway, we all got through it. Now, let's, uh, let's get to your career, your art career. From an early age, you were always dedicated to painting. In fact, you inspired, you said uh, today that you, I inspired you, but you inspired many of us kids uh, at school. Um, and yet it was only in 1988 that you began a professional painting career. And since then, you've exhibited around the world very successfully in New York, London, Austria, South Africa, Zimbabwe. Am I leaving any other countries out? Uh, no, I don't think so, Pete. I, I, yeah. So, so, Larry, what do you consider your style of painting? Would you call it realism? I or think so, Pete. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I always loved David Shepard's work. And I, um, it's, it's a whole other story. But I was very fortunate to be able to work under a master painter the late Simon Coombs, who became my mentor. And sadly, in his 60s, uh, Simon was killed by a buffalo in Kenya. Um, and uh, he had a, a pretty realistic sort of style. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, it, you know, I try to record African landscapes and wildlife as, as I see them as authentically as possible. Yes, very much warts and all of the African bush. I mean, I think if when you look at one of your paintings, and I'm a little short-sighted, so I actually see the bush better through your paintings than I do through my own eyes. I mean, it's almost like uh, watching a TV program in HHD. It's so detailed, so incredible. No, thanks, Pete. I, I you know, I, I mean, I just, I, I've always... The key to it all is, has always been drawing. And for some reason, probably from the age of three, I, I drew uh, just compulsively. Yeah. Um, and so by the time I was six, I could draw uh, pretty much anything. Uh, you know, painting you learn as time goes by. But the, the key to it has always been drawing. And, and uh, even in, you know, when I work today, if I do... I do big complex paintings. I'll spend ages uh, in the drawing process before applying oil paint. Um, right. So that you know that's always been a, a big aspect to it. But also, a lot of it is about going out into the field and doing your research there. I mean, you recently—actually, I'm not quite sure how recent—but you you made a brilliant documentary called "The Long Sands of Gonorrhea Zoo." Um, which is incidentally on YouTube, um, and I suggest to anyone listening to have a look at it. It's fantastic. But in it, there's a wonderful scene with you painting against all odds, baboons, elephants, sandstorms. Can you tell us about that documentary? Yeah, Pete, it, it was done by uh, um, a, a really upcoming uh, 
filmmaker and photographer, uh, Buck O'Donoghue. And uh, he has, he and his wife have a company, his wife, Joe, they have a company, Bad, uh, Bad Rabbit Studios. And Buck put that together. Uh, he filmed the process. So I'm doing a series of paintings, the massive paintings of Zimbabwe. I think they're nine paintings in all. Uh, they're all about three meters long and a meter high. And it's sort of a lifetime uh, uh, goal to complete them. I've got five done. Are these, and are this these was, sorry, Larry, are these commissions or are you doing this for yourself? Uh, they, they have been commissions. Uh, they, they, they've, uh, I think there are four more to do. Um, and I, you know, either I do them as commissions or they go through my, my gallery uh, uh, at the Victoria Falls Hotel. But all of these have been commissioned in advance so far. Um, but the, the Gonorajor one, it, the film is The Long Sands of Gonorajor, and it was done by, by Buck. Uh, I took a massive canvas down. I'd been commissioned to do a painting of whatever I wanted of the cliffs. And I decided to do it as a field painting. I, a, a lot of my work uh, comes from a process of field experiences or field paintings. Uh, I, I do a lot of uh, walks, uh, kayaking, uh, canoe trips through uh, wild areas in, in, in an attempt to record experiences. Uh, and, and so I've done that you know, right throughout my, my career. Um, and, you know, in this case, it, it, it was an attempt to do the painting on a massive scale, but do it in the field and then come back and finish the detail in the studio. When you say massive scale, how big are we looking at? Well, I, I'm trying to remember. This one was, I think it was about two and a half meters by 1.3 high, something like that. Okay. And, um, and a piece... So, a piece like that, it's, how long does it's it a take really you to big finish? To try to, it's a very big canvas to try to um, work on in, in, in rough field conditions. And, and this was in November in a heat wave. Uh, Gonorajor gets unbelievable winds. There's game everywhere. Um, you're on the Rundi River. There's some pools there. So there's elephant coming down to drink. There are baboons all over the place. At night, um, I would have to... Uh, move the painting and and put it into a, almost like a wooden coffin to protect it and then set it up again in the in the morning to stop hippo or elephant walking through it. Um, the painting had to be secured. So I had an easel, but I had to have ropes holding it, tying it to nearby trees because the wind was so severe. Um, it really was hectic. I mean, we had whirlwinds coming through. Uh, I had an elephant come right up while I was painting. It's, it's in the film and come and basically inspect what I was doing. It, it was a very uh, profound moment. But suffice to say, it was very challenging. You know, there's a wonderful scene in that documentary about uh, an elephant that just walks almost straight up to you or straight behind you while you were, you were painting. The, that elephant. Yeah, and I, it it was a funny thing. It, it it was one of the most profound encounters I've had because the 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 elephant bulls and Gonorrhea has always been notorious for having um, uh, quite uh, aggressive elephant 
But because the park's been run so well in recent years, certainly the bulls have, have seemed to have calmed down. But these guys would come down on the left of where I was painting. They would go about 80 meters out to where there was water. They would drink. And then they would move across to my right and move off on a path on the right. Uh, and this went on uh, through the eight days, seven or eight days that I was painting down there. On this occasion, I remember watching this bull and seeing him walk. And as he was walking down towards the water, I saw him stop and just start rocking on his feet. And I immediately thought, no, he's, he's aware that I'm here. Um, and he's just, there's something going on. Anyway, he went to water. The other bulls then moved off to the right. And from a distance, I saw that he was coming straight uh, towards where I was painting. And I, 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 I gave Buck the heads up and I said, Buck, this guy's going to come in. Just keep filming. Um, I, I, my thinking was, was that with such a big painting in front of me, if something was going to happen, he would have to come through the painting uh, first. And it would give me a, at least a little bit of time. Anyway. He proceeded, he got to the base of the bank and stopped. And then again, just rocked on his feet. So now he was probably 35 meters away and just uh, doing what I think is sometimes called displacement behavior, where, where the, the, the elephant is, is thinking about his next uh, plan, but uh, pretending to be doing something else. So he was sort of kicking sand with his feet. Anyway, then he made the decision. There were a choice of paths where he could have walked up, which could, would have taken him a further distance away. And he chose to come on the one closest to where I was painting. And I just kept uh, working, Buck kept filming. And he walked up behind the canvas, looked down imperiously, uh, moved on a little bit, and then stopped and looked back. And my feeling at the time was uh, there was no tension. I later spoke uh, to John Travers at Amiri, who's very familiar with elephant, because the next thing that happened was he put his, his uh, trunk over his tusk. And John said to me that that behavior indicates you know, a very relaxed uh, disposition and possibly some level of acceptance. I, I don't want to misquote him, but whatever it was, it left me with the feeling that he was basically saying it's okay. It, so, it was quite amazing. So and then special. he drifted off. Yeah, very, very profound. And and just to you know, just to reiterate, you you people can watch that documentary on YouTube, and it's called "The Long Sands of Gonorrhoea," or Gonorrhoea. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> By Bad, Bad Rabbit Studio. Is, okay. is the all right yeah. okay and um so obviously africa is your thing but you have been commissioned to do a few paintings outside of africa haven't you i, I remember you did an incredible one of a of a fox hunt in the uk um that actually i'm get, sort of going off uh, topic a little bit there so let's get back onto this topic do you have any failures or have you sold anything that you think well you think that was a bit crap <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you, you know, I, I, I mean, I really do try, Pete. I, I was listening to um, 
a, a, a documentary on the life of Francis Bacon um, uh, the other night. And uh, I was struck by how if he didn't like or didn't think one of his works was absolutely as good as it could be, he tore it up or destroyed it. And he destroyed so many of his paintings. Um, which is really uh, commendable. I, I, you know, what I try and do because I work in oils, I can remove something if it's not good enough. Yeah. And I, I genuinely, I do try. I, I, I try never to let anything out unless I'm happy with it. Although, and, my... and there, are many, there are many occasions where I will look at a, at a completed painting and I'll see something that I think is is not right or not not good enough. And I'll put the painting back up. I'll scrape off uh, a whole batch of work, and I'll I'll re repaint it. Um, so many animals march on and off the canvas. It's it's fantastic watching you work. My brother Duncan thinks that you can't paint animals' feet. By the way, <laughs> he says okay. he so, says look at all your paintings. Your animals' feet are always covered by grass. Okay, well, I, I, if I can defend myself <laughs> slightly, on a particular occasion, uh, uh, the, the Mvurui rugby team were returning from a victorious battle against Mutari. It coincided with the opening of one of my exhibitions in, in Harare. And uh, a blessing or curse, the, the entire uh, touring rugby team arrived as the exhibition opened, and all of them good mates of mine. Uh, uh, Duncan arrived at the very moment where an American client was looking at a buffalo painting where the buffalo was um, obscured in thick bush and long grass. And the guy was about to buy the painting, much to my delight. And Duncan, who from years of hunting is quite deaf, and uh, um, not with the most gentle bedside manner, walked up to the guy and said, are you going to buy that thing? And the, the uh, American said, yes, I, I was hoping to. He said, it's got no feet. You can't see the bloody feet. You can't paint feet. Always hidden by grass. And uh, uh, the, the, the deal fell through, thanks to Duncan's um, uh, uh, help. Oh, my so, God. So no no I was I was very amused we did manage to sell it later but after that I got a canvas and I painted the feet of every animal I could think of from giraffe to zebra to hippo to elephant every foot that I, animal foot I could think of I painted on there and I uh, one night I went uh, from our farm to Duncan's farm for supper and I presented him with a canvas filled only with animal feet <laughs> Larry. Larry Norton's revenge there. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you've also illustrated uh, a children's book, haven't you? Uh, some years ago, quite a few years ago, uh, uh, Sir Lawrence van der Post uh, asked me to do the illustrations for a children's book he had written, I think the only children's book he ever wrote, called The Secret River. Uh, which was published by Barefoot Books in, in the UK. And uh, it's all full of uh, myth and legend. And, and it was a, a great experience to do the illustrations for that. And, and Larry, you know, you've also 
uh, been on some pretty amazing advent- adventures in your life, uh, not only for painting, but very much for conservation as well. I mean, your heart is in Africa. Um, you did a trip to, uh, the, from the source to the mouth of the, the Zambezi River. Um, what are you doing right now, you know, as far as conservation goes? Actually, my question would be, um, what do you feel the state of wildlife is in Africa right now? It's a good question, Pete. And there are positives and negatives. There's a lot to be uh, worried about and also a lot to be optimistic about. There are fantastic conservation efforts going on, but wildlife is under threat from high levels of of, uh, human pressure, deforestation, uh, conflict between humans and animals, poaching, uh, not just for meat, for for ivory, rhino horn. Uh, Everyone is is very familiar with the tragedies that have uh, unfolded. But there are some incredible conservation efforts going on. down in the Zambezi Delta, there, there's amazing work going on there. There are various other places. And there's been some, some extraordinary uh, work. There are parks that have been decimated in the past, that have recovered. Um, places in Uganda that under Idi Amin were wiped out and are full of game. Um, so I, I, I remain optimistic. Uh, In Zimbabwe, the conservation equation has always involved utilization and uh, on the buffer areas of national parks, which are critical to the whole ecosystem. Because if you have a population living right on the edge of a national park, you then have infringement into the park where you have a buffer area that widens the the ecosystem and and the the eco bank almost. Um, in Zimbabwe, traditionally the, these these have been allocated as uh, hunting areas and photographic areas. Uh, a lot of these places though are very very marginal and do not work as photographic areas. And hunting operations have have uh, run them and run them when they've been well run very successfully. Um, And this model, you go back to the campfire equation back in Zimbabwe, which started many, many years ago. I don't think it's so functional anymore, but where you have a lot of people, the the game has to produce something and, and that translates into the economy of those local people. It, they they just are no resources, it seems, for, for game just to exist on its own. And it's it's just so it's it's just too simplistic for people outside of Africa to just think uh, we've got to save the wildlife when in fact there are actually whole communities, populations of people who need to survive as well. Yeah, Pete, very much so. You know, the, the, the governments are juggling growing populations and dwindling resources and also, uh, you know, the difficulty of trying to maintain these areas for, for, for tourism and 
you know, obviously as our heritage. Um, and it's a very tough equation to get right. Particularly, Larry, with the poaching, you know, it's, it's soul destroying when you hear, I live in Hong Kong, we have, we are the epicenter, the world global epicenter of the ivory trade. It's all coming through Hong Kong somehow by hook or by crook. It comes through our ports onto China. And um, it's soul destroying when you find out customs um, constantly finding these huge hauls of uh, poached ivory. Um, so I think what you're saying is um, by making it legal, it, it, it cuts out the equation of uh, the poacher. Is that, am I correct? Well, Pete, you know, I, however it's done, these areas have to be protected. They can only be protected with anti-poaching patrols and, and management. And this has to have a source of income. It's very naive to think that this is going to happen where there is no, no, no money. It's just not going to happen. And those areas will be wiped out and become completely derelict. And mm. Uh, Zimbabwe allocates areas as uh, as hunting areas. The guys then who have those leases have to uh, manage those areas. Of course, this can be done well or it can be done badly. Uh, and uh, where it's done well and it's a longer term process, then there's an incentive to do it properly. But, you know, th th these these things can also be uh, abused. Mm, awesome. Awesome. All right. Thanks for that, Larry. Um, Larry, we, we are sort of running out of time here, which is incredible. I can't believe how quickly this has gone. So um, very quickly, what are you working on right now? Uh, Pete, before I, t I talk about what I'm working on, can, can I just say, uh, before we run out of time, mm. what an unbelievable book you wrote. Oh, uh, thank you. Mud between your toes. It, 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 I felt that I, you know, I, I had been uh, there on almost every uh, page of, of your experiences as, as we had grown up together. And it was an unbelievably brave and poignant and accurate story of our life at that time in, in, in an, an extraordinary place in history, um, in the midst of a war, uh, in the midst of all that has happened in this country. And I, I just wanted to say to you, it, you know, to all of us who are from that era, it, 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 it is a, a, a gift that I'll always treasure. Oh, Larry, thank you so much. Well, I think I had very good subjects to write about, actually. And you know, there are, you know, as well as I do, there are a thousand more stories out there, to be honest. I, yeah, I, also, yeah. I, I also felt that Land needed to be written about because there have been a lot of books written about the Eastern Highlands and other areas, but we seem to have sort of missed out a lot. So I felt it was time to give us a shout. No, well done, Pete. Um, you know, and, and again, I, I hope this is not an imitation of your <laughs> of your lead, but 
<laughs> I, I have been working on, on my own books from when I first started painting, so which was in about 19, uh, which I started painting full time, which was probably 1987, 88. <clears throat> and I have a, a number of those projects, which hopefully I'll complete in the next few years. Um, I have the project of the massive paintings of Zimbabwe, which will certainly take a few more years to finish. And ultimately, I'm, uh, I hope to put it together in, in, in a book um, to complement. We, we do massive prints of these, these uh, great paintings, these large paintings, not great, but great, great in size. Um, beyond that, I, I'm, I'm working on a, a number of different pieces here in the, in the studio at the moment. One is a big piece <clears throat> with a series of vignettes of leopard studies which include one study of a melanistic or black leopard, which was seen on the Kazangula Road between Vic Falls and, and uh, Botswana a couple of years ago. Uh, another piece I've just completed is of uh, Vic Falls at, a, at the moment with the floodwaters coming in. Uh, we, we in for a historic flood this year, and uh, I'd like to try and record that. That's a good thing, isn't it? I mean, Lake Kariba needs to fill up, doesn't it? It's quite ironic in that, um, you know, there were reporters here saying how the falls was drying up <clears throat> last year. Um, and almost in mockery of that, it's come down in full flood. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and Larry, so I'm going to recap on, on some of your social media things um, for the listener. They can watch the long sands of Gonorazu in on YouTube. They can go to Instagram to L.Norton, Facebook, the Larry Norton Gallery, and your website, which you say you're working on at the moment, is www.larrynorton.co.za. And really, if anyone's interested in art, in conservation, in wildlife, go on there and check it out. I love the way on your Instagram page, your captions um, really take people on a journey through the painting, how you got there. Um, it's not just, uh, you know, elephants on a river kind of thing. It's just beautiful. Hey, thank you. I think the Instagram is Larry.Norton. Um, I think that's the, the address. Okay. Okay. Larry.Norton. Yeah, we, we're redoing the website, and that should be up in the next in in the next uh, few weeks. But uh, many thanks for 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 the chat, Pete. I, 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 it's always lovely to catch up with you, and uh, I, we we all wish that you uh, were back in the land. Well, what I'd love to do one day is get back to you, invite you back here to talk again about some new work that you've been working on, new projects. Okay. For sure. I mean, there were other stories that I wanted to bring up today, but literally we're, you know, we're, we're running out of time. So, you know, we'll have to bring them up another time. Yeah. Anytime, Pete. It's, it's, it's always a pleasure. And, and there, you know, there are a hundred other stories, as, as we know, from growing up. Fantastic, Larry. That's Larry Norton speaking to me from Victoria Falls. Um, you are a legend, old boy. Speak to you soon. Thanks, Pete. Thanks so much. Great to chat. Take care. Bye.
Take care. Bye. Well, that's about it. Thank you so much for listening to me. And remember, you can tune into my new episodes of Mud Between Your Toes via iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Blueberry, and Pocket Casts. Don't forget, you can always buy a copy of my book on both Amazon and Kindle. And I also welcome comments by email on mudbetweenyourtoes at gmail.com. If you want to get involved and you have a good story to tell about those years in Rhodesia, and if you're brave enough to be interviewed for Mud Between Your Toes, feel free to write to me. Goodbye.